Welcome to Calvary. We're glad that you're here. Uh, Today is a day in which uh, around the world uh, we think together as Christians about uh, the persecuted church, Uh, those of our brothers and sisters who uh, in other places and in other lands are facing uh, persecution. And this morning we want to think together uh, about what they're going through. It's reported that in North Korea, somewhere between 50 and 70,000 Christians are in prison in very difficult situation, prison camps, simply for the fact that they're Christians. In the past decade, in the nation of Iraq, 650,000 Christians have fled the country because of persecution. That means that in a country where there was once about a million Christians, there's now about 350,000 Christians. At least one church a month in this past year in the country of Nigeria was attacked, simply again because uh, they're Christians. In Saudi Arabia, it is against the law to convert from Islam to Christianity, and that uh, conversion is punishable by death. And then perhaps most sobering, around the world, about 100 Christians a month are killed for their faith. Now, statistics can be somewhat impersonal, and it's sometimes useful to put a picture with statistics. This is a picture from 2008. These are Chinese Christians, and this picture was taken uh, just moments after they were arrested. Again, it becomes more real when you see these are not just nameless statistics, but real people going through difficult experiences. One of the missions organizations that we support in Central Asia just recently sent in a report of what's going on in their ministry, and this is what they wrote to us. For security reasons, every day of training, we had to change the place. This is of the camp that they run. It's an organization that runs Christian camps in Central Asia. During the summer season, this team was able to organize three camps, uh, one for women, for kids, and for teenagers. As we wrote you previously, during the third camp, they were invaded by police and arrested. After the arrest, they had a trial and paid fines. Now every one of them is under strict surveillance. We are so thankful that this team was only fined and not put in prison. This is a sign of God's unlimited grace. Thank you very much for your prayers for this specific situation. We know that all of you were standing in the gap for us. This didn't come because we wrote to some mission partners and said, hey, do you have any stories you could share with us that we could share? This is just their regular update uh, newsletter that we get because we're one of the supporting churches. Now the question is, why are we telling you these things? Why are we sharing with you what's going on with our brothers and sisters in Jesus around the world? Well, we want to answer that question this morning, and to do so, we want to look at God's Word. So if you would, open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, because today is a day in which we are thinking about uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. We're going to do our service order a little differently today. In the book of First Peter, we have been thinking about our suffering as uh, believers in Jesus. 
And because the letter of 1 Peter has so much to say about suffering, our suffering, it's not surprising that it also has a lot to say about the suffering that's taking place in the wider world. And we want to talk about that today and how what's happening in the wider world impacts and affects us and what's happening with us impacts and affects the wider world. And Peter comments on that. Now he does so in 1 Peter chapter 5. So we're going to jump out of order and look at 1 Peter 5. It's page 983 in the church Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Peter writes, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Here Peter's saying, somehow our knowledge of what Christians around the world are going through is helpful for us as we deal with our own sufferings. Peter's writing to his congregations and God is writing to us and saying, look, I see you, I know you're in the midst of your own suffering and your own difficulty. But central to your and my ability to endure the suffering we're experiencing is our knowledge of what our brothers and sisters around the world are going through. Now, my first objection when I hear that is, but what they're going through is so different than what I'm going through. That brother or sister in Christ in Nigeria who's been beaten for their faith or their church has been attacked or perhaps they've lost a loved one because they're a Christian. I don't know what that's like. I've not had that experience. I, I frankly don't know what it's like to be beaten for being a Christian or be thrown in prison or have my life threatened. How in the world can what they're going through have anything to do with what I'm going through? And how can what I'm going through have anything to do with what they're going through? It's two radically different situations. That's the thought that comes to my mind when I listen to Peter say what he says. But then this week I was alerted to the fact that what Peter wrote in this passage is he wrote this very intriguing phrase, the same kind of sufferings. What he's saying is, is that in order for you and I to stand firm in our faith, we need to know what our brothers and sisters are going, around, going through around the world. But he describes what they're going through and what we're going through using this phrase, the same kind of sufferings. Now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say knowing that they are going through the same sufferings. In fact, there's an easy way in Greek for Peter to have said the same sufferings. And instead of choosing that, he's gone out of his way to do a more difficult construction to say the same kind of sufferings. And what he means by this is that somehow their sufferings and my sufferings 
are part of a larger whole. That what they're going through and what we're going through together make up a larger whole of suffering. Now the great thing about this is, as I realize as I'm studying this, this allows for the fact that what they go through and what I'm going through are different. That I don't have to go through the exact same thing that my brothers and sisters in Nigeria are going through and they don't have to go through what I'm going through. That it's allowed for there to be differences in suffering. That I don't know what it's like uh, to be beaten for my faith. But that Nigerian Christian may not know what it's like to have a child suffering from mental illness and the kind of suffering associated with that. That's okay. Their suffering and our sufferings are different, but still part of an integrated whole. That what that Nigerian Christian is going through and what you may be going through aren't the same, but together their suffering and our suffering somehow make up the whole of suffering that's happening in the world. Verse 8 confirms this idea. It says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This places the suffering you're going through and the suffering that I'm going through and the suffering that Nigerian Christian is going through all within the larger context of a battle between good and evil. That God is everywhere in this world establishing His will in a world that's under the control of Satan, wresting it away from him, and we all have an enemy who's seeking to stop what God is doing. That that Nigerian Christian who is being beaten for his faith and your situation where you're struggling with a child who has mental illness, both of those things are the result of the fact that we live in a world in which there is sin and evil. That God did not create this world wanting there to be mental illness and God did not create this world wanting there to be uh, people being persecuted for their faith. It's a result of the fall and Satan is using this fallen world to try to destroy people wherever he can find them. And that in Nigeria he may be using force to do so. In America he may be using uh, the situation you're in with mental illness uh, that your child has but it's all for the same goal. We have one enemy. And so we are united together and our struggle, while there are differences, is the same struggle. It's the struggle with God to overcome evil in this world and the result of that struggle is that there is suffering. And so Peter says, listen, if you're gonna stand, faith in your, stand firm in your suffering, you need to know about what's going on around the world. Because our suffering and their suffering is part of a larger whole. Well, if that's true, then what are the implications? Why is it important that I know what's going on in Colombia and in Nigeria and in North Korea and in Indonesia? Well, I think there are three reasons or three implications of what Peter is saying. The first is that suffering is universal. It's not simply the result of circumstances. Suffering is universal. It's not simply the result of circumstances. When you listen to what's going on in North Korea 
when you see what's happening in China, when you hear about what's happening in Iran, when we hear what's going on, we are reminded of the fact that suffering is a condition that every single human being in every single location of the world is experiencing. This is part of what it means to be a Christian. You see, sometimes we think if we could just eliminate poverty, if we could have other, be democracy everywhere, if we could get rid of corruption, if we could give everybody uh, uh, better health, if we could somehow stem the tide of rising secularism, that somehow we would eliminate suffering in the world. But that's not true. And realizing that everybody in every culture and every situation of life is going through some level of suffering for Jesus reminds us that suffering is not simply a result of the choices we make. Now hear me right. Some suffering is a result of poor choices. Some suffering is a result of sinful choices. And Peter's very clear we want to avoid as much of that suffering as possible. It's a great strategy to walk in God's way so as to avoid as much suffering as possible. However, we must remember that Jesus, who was perfect, suffered more than anyone. And that suffering happens when you are following the Lord. And when we hear about what's going on around the world, we're reminded there is no perfect culture. There is no perfect situation that somehow, if that were the case, there would be no suffering. Suffering happens in countries where there is democracy and where there are dictatorships. Suffering happens in countries that are capitalistic and in countries that are socialistic. Suffering happens in closed countries and in open countries. Suffering happens in rural cultures and in urban cultures. Suffering happens where there are strong nuclear families and where there are not. Suffering happens when there is a high standard of living and where there is low standards of living. Suffering happens where people are well-educated and where people are not well-educated. And when we hear what's going on around the world, we are reminded that suffering for Jesus is universal. It may take different forms. It may look different. But everybody who calls on the name of Jesus suffers. And this is a reminder to us not just globally, but individually. We tend to think if we could just get the right person elected, if we could just have enough money saved up in our accounts, if we could raise our children in the right way, if we could have uh, the right diet and the right exercise, if we would just pray enough, somehow we can make it through life without suffering. But that's not true. God has designed for us not to avoid suffering, but to carry us safely through suffering. And the point is, is that we ought to spend less energy trying to avoid it and more energy trying to stand firm in the face of it. Peter's saying, when you hear what's going around, on around the world, you realize suffering is a universal phenomenon. And it doesn't matter what culture you're in. It doesn't matter what circumstances you're in. It doesn't matter what your situation is. Everybody who follows Jesus suffers. There's a second implication from what Peter is saying. It's important for us to know what our brothers and sisters around the world are going through 
because it makes us realize that how we respond to our own suffering matters. How we respond to our own suffering where we're at matters. Tomorrow is Veterans Day. And on Veterans Day, we have the opportunity to celebrate uh, the sacrifices uh, that American soldiers have given uh, and serving in the armed forces. But when we celebrate Veterans Day, we don't make a distinction between those who served in hostile combat situations and those who didn't. We simply celebrate the fact that they all served together as part of a greater whole. So it is with Christianity. We realize that those who serve in the armed forces who are back home doing recruiting or training or those who are not in hostile situations are still part of the greater effort that if it wasn't for them, some of the things going on in the front lines couldn't happen. So it is with Christianity. We realize that in this greater battle that God is fighting against the evil one, that he assigns some people to be responsible for taking new ground and he assigns other people to be responsible for not giving up old ground. Often people will come to my office and usually it'll be in a case where they have a terminal illness perhaps or they're caring for a loved one who is dying, something of that nature and they'll say to me, I feel so guilty. I'm not sharing the gospel with anybody. I'm not serving at church anymore. I used to be heavily involved. I'm not doing any of those things anymore. I feel like I barely have enough energy to get through the day. And they're saying that because they feel like they're no longer in the fight anymore. And my standard response to them is, remember, the words endure and stand firm in the faith are active verbs. They are tasks that God has given us to do. If at the end of the day you make it to the end of your life and do not deny that Jesus is Lord, you've been victorious. If your loved one reaches the end of the life still holding on to the faith, you've been victorious. You've done what your commanding officer has assigned you to do. Look, God's in charge. I'm not. I don't know why he assigned those Nigerian Christians to suffer in the way that he did, but I do know he's assigned me certain tasks as well. And that if I don't do mine well, that affects them. I mean, after all, it does no good. For those who are on the front lines, perhaps advancing the gospel and sharing it with people through persecution where the name of Jesus is never done, it does no good if that Indonesian Christian leads another person to faith and I lose my faith back home. The kingdom's not advanced in that case. You see, if you're going to win a war, some people take ground and other people have to stop the ground that's being taken from being taken back. Sometimes that's what we're assigned to do. We're assigned to stand firm in the faith. And listen, in the concept of this greater war, if Satan doesn't have to assign any forces to me or to this church or to America because we so quickly fold under the pressure of the suffering we're going through, then he's free to reassign them to other places in the world. Realizing that we're part of a greater whole means that how we deal with our suffering affects our brothers and sisters around the world. Now look, Satan doesn't care where he gets the territory back, whether it's here or in China. 
And when I, when I abandon my faith, when I don't fight for my faith here, when I don't stand firm in the faith, I'm not doing my brothers and sisters any good around the world who are suffering and dying to advance the kingdom. There's a third implication. How knowing what they're going through is helpful for me as I stand firm in my suffering. And that is it allows us a level of sympathetic solidarity with them. It allows us a level of sympathetic solidarity with them. See, one of the great lies is, is that we believe that what they're going through is different than what I'm going through. And the real consequence of that is that I think I can't understand what they're going through. I don't know anything about what it's like to have your church attacked. I don't know anything about what it's like to be thrown in prison and to live in prison for being a Christian. And we think to ourselves, whatever they're going through, it's so radically different than what I'm going through that I can't relate to them whatsoever. This is even one of the downsides of calling it the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. It makes it sound like there are two churches. One church that's being persecuted and another church that's not. There's just one church. And the point is, is that you and I know exactly what they're going through. Yes, the details may be different, but the loneliness, the fear, the anxiety, the uncertainty that you and I feel when we go through our suffering, that's the exact same fear and loneliness and worry and anxiety that they're going through. The details of how we got there are different, but the result is exactly the same. And when we believe the lie that what they're going through is so different than what I'm going through, well, then we're off the hook for caring about them. But just like you and I know the blessing of when we're in the midst of a difficult situation, someone sending us a note of encouragement, or realizing that people we don't even know are praying for. How many of us have been blessed when we've gone through a difficult health situation and realized there's people around the world praying for us? We find that encouraging. So do they. The prisoners that are in, in prison camps in North Korea would find it encouraging to know that we're here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, praying for them today, just like you're encouraged. How encouraged are we when someone comes along and anonymously gives us a financial gift and it just happens to be a blessing in the midst of a difficult time of suffering. They're encouraged by that too. How encouraged are we when someone comes alongside of us and, and helps lift us up and, and helps us sing praise to Jesus even though we don't feel like it in the midst of the discouragement and the desolation? How encouraged are we when someone reminds us, don't be afraid, God is with you, he will not leave you or forsake you? How encouraged are we when, when someone helps us to find a psalm in the scriptures that relates to us? They are too. That's the point. Peter says, look, we're all in this together and that we too easily let ourselves off the hook because we say well what they're going through is so different than what I'm going through it's not the details are different but the emotions are the same so this morning what we want to do is we want to take time and respond you've heard this morning about some of the things going on in the world You've heard what 
God has to say about how important it is for us to know what they're going through and to engage with them. And so today in our service, we want to respond in three ways to what's happening around the world. The first is we want to respond in giving. We're going to take an offering now. This is not a special offering. Like this is not an offering that is solely for the persecuted church. This is just our regular Calvary Church offering. But what you should know is is that out of every dollar that was given to Calvary Church last year, 44 cents of that dollar went to those outside the walls of Calvary Church to help advance the kingdom everywhere it's found in the world. And a good portion of that went to help those who are being persecuted for their faith. The same will be true for this offering, that as you give financially, some of these resources will go to help those uh, who are suffering in places where there is great persecution. And so I'll encourage you to give. The second way we're going to respond is through prayer. We're going to not just talk about praying, we're actually going to pray in our service for those around the world who are experiencing persecution. And then the third way we want to respond is through praise. When we realize that suffering is what God is using to bring salvation to this world, to our lives as individuals, that what's happening in this world is all part of God's plan, that's Peter's point. Suffering is not random. It's not simply a result of circumstances. It's not just a a matter of, of, of things happening. It's part of the plan of God. We want to praise God for what he's doing. For those Christians in Central Asia who weren't arrested and thrown in prison, but only fined. God's somehow at work in that. For those Chinese Christians, for those in the prison camps, and God is somehow using all of that for his greater good. And so we want to stop and we want to praise him. We want to praise him in the midst of our suffering, and we want to encourage others to praise him in the midst of their suffering. So let's pray together, and then we'll receive our offering. Father, thank you for confronting the lie that somehow what we are going through and what our brothers and sisters around the world are going through is radically different. Lord, we may not understand all of the details, but we know the feeling. We know the feeling of loneliness. We know the feeling of despair. We know the feeling of being uh, left alone as if the whole world is crumbling underneath of us. God, I pray right now that as we give of our financial resources, Lord, you have blessed us in this country. Uh, Lord, and these financial resources could do great things to help those in other countries who are going through difficult times. And Lord, I pray uh, that we would give generously as a church. Lord, that those who have much would not have too much and those that have little would not have too little. And Lord, I pray that you would give wisdom to our staff and to the deacons as they decide where to send these monies. Lord, I pray that uh, there might be other organizations like this one in Central Asia that we're supporting that we can give these monies to that might be an encouragement to them and a help to them. Uh, Lord, and I pray that you would bring these opportunities to mind. And Lord, as we come to you in the rest of the service in prayer and in praise, would you allow us to do so in the power of your Holy Spirit? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.